Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. often talk about what the person was like in their interactions and people get up on an open mic and they might talk about mom or grandma or dad or grandpa or uncle or a co-worker or they inspired us with what they did in this ministry they started this is like that's what happens it's a life looked at through the eyes of different people who have a different perspective when they're looking at it from below now the older you get the less likely your peers will comment because you they preceded you my dad's in his 90s. When he steps into eternity, there are no, there's no one from his peer group when he's serving the Korean War, the Vietnam War, when he's stationed in Guam, Okinawa, there, or when he got his master's degree at UVA, graduated from UW, University of Wisconsin. There's no one around from that. His parents went around to talk about his life. Like, there's just, I mean, his brother's still alive. Maybe he'll come, maybe he won't. But, like, you, you can, you know, the older you get, the less likely you get, you get, you get more like the grandchildren. Like when Ethan Marcucci's mom was laid to rest a few months ago, the grandkids all got up and spoke, and it was beautiful. This is like an open mic at a memorial service for Jehoshaphat when you think about the perspectives of people. So his relationship with the people of Israel, he's a king. He's a governor. He's a mayor. It's constituents of the city. If you're the mayor of Huntington Beach, there's 210,000 people affected by your decisions. You work with city council, and some people are saying, vote yes on this, this, and this, and some people are saying, vote no on this, this, and this, right? Unless you do your homework, who can know? And the older you get, the more you realize they come, they go. Someone asked me, well, I'm not more political recently, and I said, well, listen, I'm twice your age. I've seen twice as many presidents, kings, queens, congressmen, congresswomen, city council, mayors, and let me tell you, they come and go. And I don't let them get me too riled up. And I don't need you to come to your church to have me tell you how to vote. You got a voter guide, you can do your own homework. I'm going to tell you how to live for Jesus and look for the kingdom who supersedes and is over it all. And we'll have the final say on it all. And don't get upset about these people. Don't put too much trust in those who are good and pray for them all. And don't let those that are evil bother you too much. Just pray for them all. Like God says to in the New Testament, honor the king, pray for them all. Hope for the best and just know there's a chariot of glory coming for each one of us in faith in Jesus' name. This is not our home. But he is a politician. He's over a lot of people. He's like a, he's like a CEO or whatever. Like he's the boss of something. He's over the youth ministry. He's over something. He's over a lot of people and a lot of money. And it says with these people that he, that, that we saw in Chronicles, Chronicles that he removed the high places and here we're told they were not taken away. And I think in life we realize some battles just like I'm done fighting it. Like you try and help your adult children or your adult, your adult siblings. And sometimes you're about 50 or 60, just like, I can't do this anymore. They're going to do what they're going to do. And, you know, we wish them well, but that's just, you just get to the point where you're like, I, I, I can't do this. Or the neighbors, like they're just either, you know, we really have a couple of choices. Either pray that they'll move or we need to move. Like, that's it. I mean, life is short. You don't want to kill your neighbor. So what are you going to do? I spoke with someone this week that told me they moved because of a neighbor. I thought I, was the only, I thought I was the only one ever did that. We sold our house. 
in Costa Mesa, 2010. Because the neighbor situation was just so horrible. And I was like, life is too short. I don't have to accept this. And we've had this for 10 years. And it's not gotten better. It's only going to get worse. And that's it. So you, you, you sort of pick battles in life. You younger people listen to me. You kind of pick battles in life as you get older. Is, is this my battle? Or is this what I'm willing to, am I going to die on this hill? What, what am I willing to do here? And I, I suppose at some point Jehoshaphat said, you know what? These high places were places of their own type of worship. It's kind of like I do church, but I do it on the golf course. I do church, but I do it in the ocean. The, in 1987, I used to tell people, you know, if the surf's not good, I'm going to come to church. Let me tell you, the surf was firing every Sunday for the first six months of 1987. It kept me from going to church. I mean, it was fire. I was like, no, it's all time again on Sunday. I think the Lord's almost doing this to keep me, like to test me or the devil's trying to keep me from church. I used to tell people, I do surf church. Or how many times you're in the water on a Sunday, the guys are like, this is my church, bro, at the cliffs. You know, they're in the longboard. I'm at church right now. Okay. That's kind of what the high places were like. You believe in God, but you're just going to kind of do it your way. Oh, this, I'm going to take a little bit of this and, you know, a little bit of that. And that's, that's what the high places were like. And Joseph asked, like, here's the law. Here's the word. Let's do this. Let's come to the temple. Let's, let's come together three times a year for the feast and all that. And, and after all, I was just like, you know what? You can only legislate so much morality. And if these people are going to worship on the high places, that's what we're going to do. But the Kadesh, they are definitely not going to be permitted in Jerusalem. You pick your battles. And you decide what really matters. Trying to make every single person not have a high place on the the back hills of Judah or making sure that this influence doesn't destroy your culture, your family unit, and the perception of right and wrong amongst your people. So with the people of Israel said, all right, that's it. He let it go. He didn't remove it. Like, it's our thing to get the people, to get everyone to agree, like, this is not a good idea. And they just did it. And then you have the peace with the king. So this is another, so this is like mayor to mayor. This is like when the governors get together, like at a governor's convention, and decide, or speaker of the house. You know, it's like these are two political forces. And we read on Tuesday night how he wanted peace and unity at all costs. And because there were people of covenant, he, he surrendered truths that could not be surrendered to have unity with Ahab. They were both in name Israelites. They were both in principle under the covenant of God, but one loved the Lord, walked with the Lord, taught his word, obeyed him, and shined for him. The other one brought in Baal, married the evil woman Jezebel, brought in false prophets, false worship, had nothing to do with the Lord. The Lord tried to get his attention. He rejected it once, rejected it twice, and then he killed Naboth to take his property. They have nothing in common in faith. They could not have unity in faith. It was not possible for them. But he did seek peace because we know throughout prayer to this time, the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel fought each other, the north and the south, like a civil war. But he at least had peace. So he established peace. And, you know, we go back to the New Testament where it says, as much as up to you, live peaceably with all men. He sought peace. You know, like, what are you going to do? He's a relative. They go to church. We go to church. Their church is different than our church. Let's just carve up the turkey and talk about the Detroit Lions losing on Thursday. You know, let's avoid that conversation at a family gathering. That's what it's like. Let's have peace, but we can't really, we don't really have fellowship right here. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen for Thanksgiving. It's not going to happen for Christmas. It's not even going to happen for Easter. It's just like you think Jesus rising is cool and you've got the Buddha statue in your water fountain up front. It's like we just, we just don't. 
and you, you think all roads lead to heaven, we believe Jesus is it, and we're moved with urgency because the world's perishing, and you're just like, whatever, you know, it's all, we're all universalists, you know, everyone's going to heaven. Well, I can have Thanksgiving with that family. I can have Christmas with that family. But I can't really have fellowship with that family. Early on, when Jennifer and I were first married, both my parents drank. And um, it affected them quite a bit. Of course, my sister was an alcoholic, is, is considered an alcoholic, I suppose. You know, she ended up homeless on the streets for five years because we're drinking and uh, pharmaceutical drugs, and she can't drink. She knows that. She's been clean for five years. My brother would be the first to admit drinking's caused him a lot of problems in his life. And we all know Planet Earth's better if Pastor Joey never drinks a drop of alcohol again since, since 1987. So it's good. Like, just, <laughs> like, it's just not there for me. You know, like, it's just, no. But when Jennifer and I were first married, we'd go to these family gatherings. Because, of course, when you're married, you got this side of the family, that side of the family, and you know, all that stuff. We all know what that's like, right? So, uh, my family, it, it would start good, but once alcohol came out, you just knew you're on the clock till it was going to go bad. And, you know, and then it would stay too long, and then it would go bad, and things would be saying, they shouldn't be said, and now mom and dad are, now my parents were divorced, but they could hang out together amicably until they drank alcohol. And about 20 minutes after the alcohol was flowing, you know, then someone said something, it's like, here we go, you know, like, they live a mile apart from the time they're divorced. They live a mile apart for 40 years, and I, I can't even explain it. I'm just glad we could still get together and amicably. Neither one we married. But we learned. We couldn't talk about the Lord in those situations because how they perceived it, especially when they're drinking, it just, it's, it's just the worst when you have relatives and they're drinking, like, oh, pray for the food. It's like, this is so weird. You ever been in that situation? Oh, Yeah. So what do you do? Live peace with all men. Okay, Lord, bless this meal. And you just, you can't, you just, you got to find that place where you're tolerant in it. You don't blow a gasket and you just, you just uh, like, okay. But what we really learned is as soon as the alcohol started, well, we started moving things up to two in the afternoon because my parents don't drink in the day. But this time of year, it gets dark at five, right? <laughs> so, you know, like, you just, you learn, and you don't react to those situations, you proactively plan for those situations, so like, hey, it's time to go, you know, they're drinking, they're drinking, it's been five minutes, we, hey, we got 15 minutes, kids, pack it up, no, I want to play with Cousin Jimmy, you got 10 minutes with Cousin Jimmy, we got to load up, because we've seen this movie, and we know how this works every time on the sequel, he made peace with the northern kings which is more than anyone did before him. His mistake was trying to make unity. But there's nothing wrong with making peace and living amicably with people when and how you can, particularly relatives, which Ahab was married in relative to Jehoshaphat. And then the, the you know, the Kadesh is just like, what do you need to do? They just can't, bah, this is not happening. He's like, this is never going to be permitted. This is never going to be good. This, they got to go. And he, they had to go. And he, to his credit, he was, that's just never going to be accepted in my household, in my kingdom, ever. Never. No, 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 no. And then, you know, that's, that's what he did. He, this is who he is. He had these relationships with these people under these different circumstances. Uh, and then, of course, the king of Edom, or the deputy of Edom, is also an interesting one because it says that, that he, there was a deputy of the king, so he had a relationship with Edom. This is interesting because 
we saw how the Philistines brought him, tri- tri- you know, blessings. The Arabians, they brought him, you know, all the sheep and cattle and all this stuff. And so he had someone in Edom, that's a neighboring territory to the south, that represented Judah's interests and is a good relationship. He had a favorable business relationship with him. He, he did business where he could. It was favorable. It's a peaceful border. Like a neighbor, you get along. You both take good care of your yard, <laughs> right? Like it's always nice, you know, like you guys respect each other. It's good. Everything's good. Everyone's happy. So I, I look at this and, I, and these are his relationships with people under four different circumstances. The people in general that he led, the relative who's a powerful king to the north, the perverted persons who are there in Jerusalem, who are going to always want their way. And then this deputy that maintained the interest of his business ventures, his government ventures with a certain people. And it was favorable. So, you know, again, we talk about being a memorial and an open mic. People are going to get up and say, oh, I represented him and Edom as his deputy or whatever. The cadets could give, like, I banished as he's so intolerant. He's such an evil king. You know, there's no love. And listen, everyone's got an opinion. Let God be true and every man a liar because this is the only one that matters. Light is light. Darkness is darkness. Let God be true and every man a liar. In other words, his relationships with humanity are summarized in this passage in diverse perspectives and i'll say this i think he just did the best he could right like he just did the best he could the previous part of this chapter was his exposure of making a really bad decision and we saw he had a business venture to go get gold and that didn't that didn't turn out so well he he he's like all of us he just did the best he could like he tried the best he could to influence his employees and his co-workers to influence the family as best he could and not be influenced by them. He did the best he could with his business venture with these people and their joint venture interests and these people that were evil and were never going to go away. He did the best he could. And when you step into eternity, uh, when I step into eternity, you're never going to find perfection. And there'd be plenty of people that come up and testify against me at my memorial if you gave him an open mic. Like you just doesn't this just show like how real he was? Like he just did the best he could. These are four details about his relationships with people. And they vary. He just did the best he could. And in Jesus' name, we're trying to do the best we can. Which brings us to the final thing. It says that there in verse 48 that he he made these gold ships, these merchant ships to go get gold, like Solomon did. So he probably read the biography on Solomon. He's like, I'm inspired. Listen, his kingdom's probably the best kingdom of all the Judah kings other than Solomon's. So he has every reason to dream big. He's like, hey, Solomon dreamed big and he did this. I'm dreaming big. What, what have I not done yet? I've not gone for gold and Ophir. I'm going to build a fleet of ships and I'm going to expand my global trading partners and I'm going to go get gold. Except it didn't happen. In Chronicles, it says that he made a partnership with Ahaziah, the son of Ahab. There's that family relationship again. <laughs> Old nephew, cousin Ahaziah, the cousin twice removed. Hey, let's do this. Let's go get gold. Let's, let's expand the kingdom. I mean, the Arabians bring us all the sheep. That's equity. That's, that's real wealth. You know, commodities, food, that's always in. Let's go get some gold because gold's the currency of heaven. Let's do this thing right now. It's God's currency. Yes. And as I was like, let's do it, Uncle. Uncle Jehoshaphat, let's do it. Let's build the boats. You do it. He's almost like his dad. Ahab, let's go take on, you know, Ben-Hadad. He's just the next. And... We're told in Chronicles that God sank the fleet because he did it as a business partnership with Ahaziah. So you're wondering, like, what well, was it, bad luck, bad timing? You, you invested right before the 
2008 economic crash. You invested right before 9-11. Like, is this bad timing? Was it bad timing for you? No. Was it bad timing because you had this business plan and COVID happened? No. No. God who loves you chastened you and sank your fleet. God sank his fleet. Thank God for his chastening. Yes and amen, right? God sank his fleet. There's no boat to float when it's contrary to your best interest. And be, it's probably happened after Ahab died. Because as I has mentioned next, you know, to let's do this. So listen very carefully. These are, these are closing elements on tonight. Because we see that he did what was right in the Lord. We saw that in detail. We saw his relationships with humanity. He just did the best he could. We can all relate to that. But here he received, this text tells us he received chastening from the Lord. And the Bible tells us whom the Lord loves, he chastens. You can't win them all. Henry Ford, a Ford Motor Company, he pretty much had the golden touch with all of his investments. I mean, how he did factory development, how he treated his workers, employees, revolutionaries, employees, all this stuff, the Model T, all that, and then how he built factories in Europe and all this, and the Germans marveled. If the Germans marvel at your production, you know you're impressive, okay? He even built plants for the Soviets after World War II, like, or, or actually after World War I for the Soviets. He, he had this whole idea that, in fact, it's called Fordism. It's actually a phrase, Fordism, from a previous generation that the world used to refer to Henry Ford and the Model T production and capitalism. It was identified with American ingenuity and capitalism favorably. And he had this idea that if you produce everything in America, go figure. He had the idea that he made everything in America he needed for his cars he'd make in America and not depend, be dependent on foreign production. That's a fact. You can Google it. Wikipedia. But he felt like if you made something really good, you could export it to the world and teach them how to do it. And if you give them, if you help them be successful, they're less likely they're going to bomb you. So he had a vision that by leading the way in free enterprise to the benefit of our country, we'll show you, your country, how to do it so you can be as successful as us. And we'll have world peace through that. That's quite interesting. But it, and he was primarily very successful at everything he ever did. However, he had a couple of failures. And one of them was this whole... Uh, rubber plant idea thing in, in South Florida and Fort Myers years ago. There's a museum there for the Ford family in Fort Myers, but there's a failed business plan. And sometimes, you, well, you lo- you, losing's part of winning. If you're afraid to lose, you'll never win, right? You understand that. Like, losing's part of winning, especially economically. You just, there's just, it happens. Almost every extremely successful financial person, male or female, had great defeats before they had great success. And so I find it interesting to me, and this defeat, this chastening from the Lord. By the way, Henry Ford was Episcopalian. He walked four miles to church every Sunday in Michigan growing up. He's died in Episcopalian Cemetery. And his son died before him of stomach cancer during World War II. Not at the war, but his son was 49, and he died like in 43. His grandson from his son, became his successor to the Ford Enterprise, established the Ford Foundation, which gives away billions every year from their trust fund to this day for the advancement of economic development in poorer countries. Which just goes to show we need a bigger vision. Like, we need a bigger vision for our life. Because the actual statement is for, like, uh, for the benefit of humanity and the, the advancement of humanity, but there's no Jesus in there. 
all the great things God wants to do through you and I in the name of the church, it's going to be Jesus Christ is going to be in that statement of our purpose. But you can't win them all. And when you study successful people, Carnegie, Thomas Edison, 10,000 failures, you just, these guys all hung out together too. Vanderbilt, all of them, these guys were all buddies back in the day. They lost. But this guy lost with the Lord. And that's the best way to lose. I've lost with the Lord many times. I've been severely chastened by the Lord. And it actually encourages me. I've told you, Timmy got spanked more than anybody in our family. He deserved it more than anybody. And he was always relieved that he got spanked. Timmy wanted punitive damages for what he did. And the sooner he got spanked, the sooner he could just get his boots back on and go forward. And he's so close to his mom and I. Like, he, he loves us so much because we, we disciplined him. And that discipline showed him, the discipline was to correct him. And, sh- and it showed him how much his parents love him. And to this day, he knows that. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. I remember my kids were younger. They'd ask me, well, who spanks you? I'm like, God does. That's who spanks me. Well, how do you know? Oh, you just know. Wait till you're an adult. He'll know. He'll know when you're getting spanked by, by the Lord. He will spank you. And you'll be grateful that he did. Like I say, the only thing worse, not worse, the only thing harder than being chastened is not being chastened. It's a proof of love. Jehoshaphat was chastened by the Lord. God sank his fleet. Think how much money he had invested. You know how much it cost to build a fleet? Peter the Great built the fleet as well, and a city, St. Petersburg. But, like, you build a fleet. I mean, like, you know, like, like, you created all this out of nothing. You had a vision for boats. You brought in boat builders. You probably brought in these guys from Tyre who know how to build boats. You built this whole fleet. You got this business plan. You're funding it economically. You got the bank loans. You're doing this. You got that. And you know, as I was like, I'm in, I'm in. I'll fund it too. You know, I'll be 20% shareholder. And <clears throat> there goes your whole fleet. It's gone. But Jehoshaphat knew, because the Lord told him, that it was for doing business with Israel and going into partnership with them where light and darkness have no fellowship in this business venture, not to be, not to be equally, unequally yoked. But the beauty is that it says, after that happened, Ahaziah comes back and says, hey, let my servants go with your servants in the ships. In other words, let's, let's, hey, we failed once, we can redo this. We can do this. Let's build some more boats. Let's let my servants go with No, no. See, that's what we need to learn from chastening. We need to learn the lesson. And what I like about Jehoshaphat in this summary of his life, because this is the final thing said about him, God chastened him with the sinking of the fleet going for gold in the latter part of his life, because Chronicles tells us in the latter part of his life. And after that happens, we're told that Ahaziah said, well, let's, you know, let my servants, you know, come on now, it's too early to give up on this business venture. No, it's not. It's the right time to give up on this business venture. If you study finances, they'll tell you, don't be married to the wrong idea. And the more emotional you get, the less, the more emotional you get with economics, the more your financial IQ goes down. You you just got to make the right decisions because of the right decisions. And when you've made a bad decision economically, time shows when you're married to it and you put your pride to it, it can get a lot worse. And in this case, as painful as it is to lose an entire fleet to go get gold and all the venture capital, it's even worse to try and do it again with someone a guy just told you don't do business with him. So he learned the lesson. So WG, body Christ, let's be encouraged that when the Lord chastens us and corrects us for personal decisions, economic decisions, uh, relationship decisions, 
church decisions, whatever it might be, that, he, that we're not led by him and he corrects us, let's receive that chastening and embrace that chastening and learn the lesson from it. Because in the end, what do we say all the time? We want to keep growing in our journey. We want to keep growing. Failure is inevitable. Growth is optional. And we want to keep growing. And here we are in November. We're wrapping up the year. And this text reminds us, keep growing. We want to see a better version of you and me and this church on December 31st, 2022, than we saw on January 1st, 2022. That we've grown. Oh, we may not have grown numerically or in other ways, but when you look in the mirror and you see that person that you can know, you let the Lord work in greater ways and you have grown in your faith, in your obedience, your kingdom vision, and you're even more in for the new year 2023 than you were on the year you just finished. Yes and amen. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.